Hey, Louis. Hey, Roma. So, you know how I've been really bad at watching movies my whole life? Well, yeah, you're not really a cinephile. No, I just can't sit still for that long. But you know what I wish I was able to see? <laughs> what? What do you wish you can see? <laughs> well, back in 2006, this movie came out, and it looked pretty good. I think it's called Aragon. <laughs> ah. Did you see that movie? <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm just going to use the one true name and then just erase that memory from existence. And within within five seconds, you'll forget that we were even talking about this. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> this trailer made me so... <laughs> so upset with so <laughs> many things that they did wrong and that was just from a trailer but it looked like such a great movie i was so excited as a kid you know what as a kid that that, that will stay as a landmark for one of those movies that really inspired like fantasy love as i was growing up but just knowing how the book series actually fucking goes and just Seeing that trailer again and reminded of all the inaccuracies they have of completely scrubbing away other fantasy races and just making them people and just the magic system being fucked up. It's. Just... <laughs> Does it upset you? Does it make you angry? Yes, I'm retroactively angry. <laughs> casting a spell on me to forget or is that just a bit is that a thing that happens <laughs> we'll get to that all right hello and welcome to the hyperfixation where my friends come onto our show and tell us about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes or more depending on how feisty we feel that day my name is Roma. I use the they and them pronouns because my gender is in the trash can. And today I'm joined by Lewis. Hello, I am a, the other a, one of the other hosts on this show. But today I am a, a guest, I guess. You're the guest hostess with the mostest. I am guest host slash guest co-host today. Yeah. You're asking your own questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask my own questions. Hey, Louis, what's your pronouns? I use the he, they pronouns. Hey, Louis, what are we talking about? Aragon. Uh, Aragon. Oh, God. So, uh, obviously, long-term listeners know Louis uh, from season one um, and season two. And from, uh, if you're a longest time listener from Hearts Against Balance, um, a new listener's going to be like, the hell is that? That's your own journey. I'm going to let you find that out on your own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go over there. Listen to my other <laughs> podcast. Cringe at earlier episodes. Cringe at later episodes, but not for audio reasons. Get emotional damage. Get emotional damage. Get... Uh, Get love in your heart. Yes, Lewis, um, we live together. 
And <laughs> so <laughs> um, the cool thing about living with you is that I get to get an info dump whenever I damn well please or whenever you damn well please. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love that I finally get to kind of wrangle you into your office desk in front of a microphone to do it in a podcast format. <laughs> um, because uh, am, am I allowed to mention what we you were going to talk about before? Sure. I'll still probably do it at a later time. Maybe just with okay. another host. Well, this gives listeners an opportunity to harass the shit out of you to talk about the Cthulhu mythos. Um, but we were going to talk about the Cthulhu mythos but then Aragon entered your life again, and um, you've been you've been hardcore reading slash listening to that, and so I've been sitting there. I'm like, I want to know, I want to know because I don't know jack shit about Aragon. I know nothing. I know there's a dragon, and there's some Troy Bolton looking ass dude in the movie, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is kind of like a fantasy version of Troy Bolton. <laughs> Does he sing and dance? Please tell me he sings and dances. No. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe in another movie he does. I can totally see him doing that, though. We get a GoFundMe for Aragon, the movie. That's correct. But it's a musical. <sighs> and it's a uh, Zac Efron. Why can't it just be me? This time I'm going to be in the musical. And then I'll sing about the timeline of Aragon. And if if we have to gloss over anything for, you know, movie time reasons, we'll put it in the song so it's not just cut out of the movie, making it an overall worse experience for people. True. You know, I'm trying to think. My brain immediately went, I'm pretty sure they cut whole songs out of movies, too. But, I mean, if it's a banger enough, they couldn't. Well, it's not as much as, like, cutting songs out, but cutting plot points out or important details out that's a big issue when it comes to movie releases of book book mediums or game mediums what whatever they may be when it makes the jump to a movie medium so much stuff is going to get left on the cutting room floor but the important thing is to remember what is critical to the storyline and if you're planning on making it a series knowing what's going to affect later storylines if you cut it or not. Yeah. You know, it. like I've mentioned before, with, like, I'm not a really a movie person. Like, I like shows, and I just can't sit still for long periods of time. My attention span is very small, um, and that's why I'm on TikTok all the time. But this reminds me of the very few times where, uh, with Chainsaw Man, well, not few times, but, you know, during Chainsaw Man's release, I'm sitting there with like my red strings across the wall of like, they cut the whole scene out with the muscle devil. Why would they do that? That completely changes how they perceive Makima in the earlier episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was like, hmm, you know, actually, uh, I now understand this emotion just on a different level. But um, this movie came out when we were very young. Mm-hmm. You said 2000. How old were we? What? Wait, 2006? Six. I was yeah. 11. I was 10 or 11. 10? Yeah. Um, I remember it coming out and I remember it being a big deal. Um, I actively remember 
not being able to see it in theaters and then forgetting it existed entirely. Yeah, I definitely did watch this movie and I loved the shit out of it as a kid because uh, one, I didn't know the book series and two, I didn't know what good uh, storytelling looked like. You're a baby. I was just a wee lad. This definitely was a cornerstone of my love for fantasy mediums and just the escapism that comes with enjoying just a fantasy genre. Yeah. So you watched the movie first. Yes. In 2006-ish. Yeah. Um, when did you begin to read the series? Uh, a month ago. <laughs> I was under the impression that this was a reread. I didn't realize this was a first-time read. No, it was 100% a first-time read. Hey, yo. So, okay, because, okay, because from the previous times we've talked about book series on the show, I mean, like, with the Cosmere, Jakey had been reading that for, like, ever, um, and then with Animorphs, Jakey, it was a reread. And with you with the land, did you reread the land or did you just read through it once? I when I came on the show to talk about the land, I listened to the books again as I'm a big audible person. Uh, And for that time, it was probably my eighth or ninth listen through the series. Yeah, the land was one of those big uh fantasy things for my adult life. And so you went from I know nothing about this genre and now I love it to now I'm a, a connoisseur as as uh what's the the wine tasters? A uh, hipster. <laughs> <laughs> You're a a a, 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 a a I fucking don't know what the word is. It starts with an S. But you're one of the you're one of them fancy licensed wine testers of fantasy series now, and you're looking back on this movie like, what the fuck? Yeah, how could you? <laughs> As I started this journey of the the Aragon series, which the channel in the Discord will be labeled as Aragon because that's what people know it as. The book series itself is called the Inheritance Cycle. So when I started my journey with the inheritance cycle, um, I started talking to Tony, your partner, and Tony was a fan of it and got through, I think, the whole series uh, when the movie came out and was disappointed from the get go. So when I told him that I was going to be starting the book series, he got really excited. I started listening to Aragon and was immediately like really off the deep end of like hell yeah I love this but simultaneously getting more and more retroactively pissed off about this movie (laughs) from what I remembered I'm like oh my god they dropped the ball harder than any book series that I know of that was pushed to that medium I have to know more um hold on where's the timer hold on I don't think I have any other previous questions. I think I just want to hear what the fuck they fucked up at this point. Um, are we doing a one-to-one comparison as we go along, like with book one? Or are, are you just going to... Oh, how, how, how do you want to approach this? I think from what I want to do is try to get as much of the actual story as a 
series in there. But as the beginning part, I will be comparing it to the Aragon movie. And from what I remember and their huge shortcomings, it can be boiled down, but it can also be expanded upon. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, well, I got the timer. I'm going to press the button. And I'm going to let you go hard. Does that sound like a plan? I guess so. I hope so. Do you really, really, really go hard in three, two, one? <coughs> nice. Sorry, I, that was a nervous burp. Can you please? Uh, no, leave it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So the both the book and the movie start off in like the same uh start zone. So it's just some lanky little early, like late teens, I think he's 18 at the beginning of the story, a guy in the woods and he's hunting a deer and they uh cut over to Someone getting some woman getting chased by some people and they're holding some mysterious glowing rock and then they say some spell or some shit. And then that glowing rock appears next to the 20 year old person said 18 year old person, which is Aragon. So those points, those are pretty good. I will say from the get go, they fuck up because they have. The person who's getting chased is Arya from both of them, but. You notice in the movie immediately that she is not an elf, which she is very, very blatantly an elf. They expound on that. And that might not be as much of a big deal for the movie right now. But as time goes on, you learn more about the species and how they are a creature of magic. They are not just people who know magic. They are just living embodiments of magic and that's very key okay. for later story shit mm -hmm. and it's not just this that they fuck up in the movie they take away any species that is not human if it's humanoid it's just human so there's no dwarves there's no elves there's no urgles which is essentially just like orcs it's all just humans <clears throat> uh that sounds like a budget issue. It. Uh, I'm just making a bit. I saw it actually. I don't think it's actually. Wait, actually, could, do you think we should? You know what? Keep it does I'm sound like a budgeting up. issue. If it if the movie didn't get a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, they didn't they get like two hundred fifty. Yes, in like theaters they got two hundred and fifty million. So it was a net gain, but overall fans were so disappointed moviegoers were just so disappointed I, you said it's a 16 on rotten tomato yeah it's it's not good so regardless that's our opening scene we have aragon he's got this glowing rock it's a dragon egg dragon egg i'm just gonna more closely follow the book and then i'll just complain about the movie as i remember shit aragon takes that egg back home he's like cool glowing rock I don't have any food that I was trying to hunt for. I'm a poor farmer, but this glowing rock looks important. I could probably sell this and have good money for my family. He so he takes it home. He goes to show his uncle. His uncle's like, 
cool. Uh, he lives with his uncle who has raised him. He was abandoned by his mom <laughs> the day he was born. Like his mom left the village years ago. And then one day she just came back pregnant as shit to her brother's house and was like, hello, Garo. Um, I'm going to stay here for a little bit. She poops out a baby and then immediately leaves and never comes back. Bruh. Yeah. So Aragon got raised by his uncle and aunt with his, I think, two years older cousin, who essentially is his brother. He, the aunt has died. That doesn't really matter. So he lives with his family. His uncle's like, cool, we can use this money. He tries to take it into town to show the the blacksmith. No, not the blacksmith. The butcher. So he's like, hey, butcher man, I'll trade you this expensive ass looking rock that you can definitely get more money for if you give me a bunch of food. And the butcher said, hey. Hmm, I'll think about it. Where'd you get it from? And he's like, hey, I got it from those suspicious mountains back there. Butcher says, get the fuck out. He doesn't want anything to do with that suspicious ass mountain. Regardless, we move on past the scene. He goes back home. Uh, His uncle's like, just wait for the essentially the nomads to come by. They're like, if you're a fan of Skyrim, the Khajiit of the world, where they're just traveling merchants that come throughout the land with their wares sell their goods they're just like a merchant guild sort of thing Mm -hmm. okay so he's like just wait for them to come we will sell the egg then he tries to do that um the merchant says i would and they probably i could probably get a fuck ton of money for this but this is such a niche thing and i don't think it's really worth me buying because it's going to take forever for it to even happen so he's despondent he's upset he takes that shit home actually before he takes it home he listens to the storyteller of their village tell stories about dragon riders um storyteller's name is brahm and he's telling all these extravagant tales riders are people who have bonded with dragons it's not just anyone can become uh uh, not everyone is just a rider. They have to physically bond with a dragon for them to be considered a rider. And I feel like, oh, I don't mean to interrupt you. This just gives me the same energy of like, not everybody can be a cat person. Like, definitely. <laughs> not everyone can be a dragon person. It's just a niche no. thing. They're going to scratch eh. up your furniture. They're going to scorch your walls. It's It's just a pain in the ass. You know? But the the barbecues are insane, dude. Honestly, the top tier. Everything smoked. It's beautiful. Uh, Sometimes it gets a little charred, but that's all right. It's about the experience. It's like going to a hibachi grill where things are kind of like overcooked. It's more about the experience rather than the. Yeah, and I mean, I don't have to play for. I don't have to pay for flights anymore. TS. I'm a ten nine out of ten TSA agents hate. That's true, but you'll definitely need a saddle for it, because if you try to ride a dragon without one, um, their hard-as-knife scales will definitely rub the flesh off of your legs, like Aragon finds out. Oh. Oh? Yeah. So, 
Aragon uh-huh. listens to Brom's story about the dragon riders, which they're not supposed to talk about because the evil king Galbatorix and his evil dragon saying, hey, no talk about the riders or I'll fucking kill you. So he talks about the dragon riders. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically how Galbatorix turned on them and was the one that killed all the riders. And that's why there's no dragons or riders today, because they're all dead because of him. Sorry about it. That part's kind of a one-for-one one for the movie. Yeah. They cut all that in-between shit, though. It's kind of just like Aragon has egg, he goes to town without the egg, listens to story. That's, that's the comparison there. Doesn't matter. Egg hatches, it's a baby egg. dragon. Egg. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the egg hatches, baby dragon, he... Uh, feeds it what pieces of meat it can. Um, when the egg hatches, he gets a mark on his hand that has marked him. Uh, this was the mark of a dragon rider. He has driver's mark- license. Yeah, it's his driver's license. Baby dragon, <laughs> no bigger than a big cat. Um, he's like, oh, fuck, gotta take that outside. If my family finds out about it, they're gonna be upset. Because they're going to want us to turn it into the king because they don't want no trouble. So I'm going to hide it from my family in the forest next door farm. I've done that. Yeah. You know, when you find a a lost kitten or puppy, you keep it outside your house so your parents don't see it and you get in trouble. Oh, dude. I've I've had some cats return doing that stuff. Yeah. Well, luckily for Aragon, there's no place to take his dragon back to, just taken away or his family murdered by the king for having one or whatever. Ah, uh, eh. <laughs> um, Yikes. So, this is where it's a similar concept of what happens. The spirit's the same, but just the execution is completely different of how they choose to separate uh, Aragon from his quiet life at home. In the book, he uh he goes into town, goes back into town for some shit and he runs into like these two shady looking guys that immediately um fill him with the sense of wrongness. And they smell like rotting flesh or whatever and he runs into just Brom who's like, "Hey man, what are you doing?" And then the the like two shady guys kind of just leave him alone. And he's like, ah, what are you doing out here? That's crazy. Oh, it's best. Sussy bacchus. <laughs> These are some sussy ass fucks. So he does that. He starts going home because a immense sense of dread and pain and whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and Saphir is fully is more grown at this point. We're just going to skip over all that small shit. Regardless, when as he arrives more towards his house, he goes to Saphira and the book. His village just gets attacked, and he starts running home to make sure his family's okay. It, okay. It gets the premise across, but again, they're just cutting off a huge piece of the book series, where these two shady guys are essentially monsters, and they're a huge driving force of what's going on. So, when he gets to Saphira in the movie, um, he starts running home, and Saphira just kind of picks him up and takes him out of there. He's like, oh, what are you doing? I gotta go make sure my uncle's okay. And Saphir's like, nah, we can't do that. You're in danger. Big danger, Aragon. He's like, nah, fuck you. Send me back. So he essentially just goes back and his uncle's 
dead? Uh, uh. And he's like, oh man, dragon, why you do this? I could have saved him. Like, my bad. Whoopsie doopsie. And then Brom shows up and is like, hey, it's time to go. Blue Skidoo, let's, let's go. You're in danger here. So the storyteller takes him on an adventure. In the book, there's more drama to that. He starts heading home and he wants to make sure that Safira is safe. Safira's the dragon. He's like, hey, Safira, I need to check on you. Like, there's some shit going on. And he sits comfortably on her back like he always does, like right ab- ab- below her neck. And she takes flight and he's like, uh, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, uh, you're in super duper danger and we we can't be here. Her animalistic urges send her out of there. And she rides for like a day without stopping, just goes deep into the mountains as he's like trying to argue with her and she just won't listen. And when he gets off of her by the end of the day, he's like, man, What's this wetness down on me? And when I'm reading this part, I'm like, oh, man, he pissed himself from all the adrenaline no, and fear. No, no. Uh, but no, he looks down and it's blood. Uh, the scales of Safira have rubbed through his clothing and uh, ch- the, uh, the most extreme of chafing. Uh, hate to hear it. <sighs> yeah. I will say, this book, Aragon, when it started getting written, it was by a 15-year-old. So, the, if you read 15. this book, and you think this could have been written better, well, yeah, it was written by a 15, 16-year-old. I'm bl- I, it's an audio format, so you can't see my, like, stare with the blinks of, like, A.O. Just a Renaissance child, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to start moving a little bit quicker. Braun takes Aragon on an adventure. He uh, runs away from the town. He's like, hey, we need to get out of here. Those creatures, they're called Razak. They will be coming back. And the best thing you can do to keep your dragon out of the, the hands of the king is if you leave, your family will be saved. So he leaves. Okay. He gets out of there. Uh, his uncle's dead. His cousin went away to do some work in the movie. He just went to go like work for a smith in the next town or something. In the movie, he went to go join the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see what they're trying to do because in, later in the book series, the cousin Roran actually becomes a very formidable warrior. Like, he's renowned throughout the kingdom for his battle prowess later. Oh. But he was never, it was never what he wanted. It was just, he was a victim of circumstance. And I I think that the the character of Roran suffers from, like, him joining soldiers in the movie because he wants to fight compared to someone who just wants to protect what they love and just doing whatever it takes to do that. How you said the author was 15, 16 when they wrote this? When they when they started to write this, they were 15 years old. I don't know when they finished it, but yes. Okay. Cause now I'm sitting here looking at this logistically of like, okay, so say let's say they were like you know what? Let's just say they were like 18 when they finished it. 
for just this. I don't know if they actually how old they were, but if it released in two thousand four, and she then was I think seventeen when it finished. When he okay. when he finished writing it, because what the interview that he had that I listened to, it was with his um editor, and his editor was the one who really pushed for her company to pick him up as a client. And she recalled having to get his parents to sign a form because he was still a minor. Yeah. Like, can you imagine being like barely 20 and like you've just been swept off your feet from this fun little dragon book that you were writing? Like, I don't think you're going to be able to bully any of those directors or producers or writers into doing the right thing. (laughs) Dude, yeah. I think the silver lining with this is that I, from what I've read online is that Disney has picked up Aragon for Disney plus to make a series out of it. And one of the co-writers is the author of the book. Oh, good. So however you feel about Disney plus or Disney doing whatever the fuck they're doing, I am a big proponent of the author having a hand in their work when it gets adapted into something else. Yeah, I hope that they stay involved. I'm looking at you, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix edition. Uh, e- it was, that's uh, a whole other bag of worms. That's a whole other bag of worms. But uh, yeah, so uh, it, I, you know, I'm not educated enough to speak on the Disney Plus thing. Um, but yes, I'm glad that at least that the author gets to stick around for making it happen as an adult round two let's fight um give us our elves (laughs) give us our fucking elves give us give me the fantasy part of fantasy i don't just want people with dragons i want the whole shebang um with that i think my mind has changed i don't want to go one for one with the movie anymore i don't want to just follow aragon anymore i just want to go about the parts that i loved and stuff that really stuck out in the series Absolutely, go for it. During this journey, in the in the books, he is training with Brom, and there's always this allude, like it alludes to him knowing more than he lets off on. And uh, he he talks about getting to the Varden, which is the world's the the continent's like rebel faction. They're called the the Varden. And he's like, all right, we're going to get over there and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, oh, so he has connections with the Varden. And uh, he knows a lot about dragons. How is this possible? Where Galbatorx has been in charge for hundreds, a hundred years. And he's essentially bands talking about it. Like, how is this happening? Uh, I'm going to spoil it now. Um, Go for it. Bronn is a writer well was a writer his dragon was killed <gasps> dun, dun, no! Dun. No, um, not the baby. there's a there's a lot to unpack with just Braun alone Braun um was there when the the writers fell a hundred years ago when you bond with a dragon and become a writer your life expectancy is essentially um expanded for hundreds of years or if you are an elf uh you can live as long as you don't get sick or get something fatally injured with you that is uh is maybe 
she's born with it. Maybe it's dragon rider elves. Yeah, I don't like that joke. I'm sorry, it didn't land. <laughs> I I I was reaching. I was on my tippy toes. It was a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> uh, like this movie tried to do. Um, ah. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's there's a lot to come with this, and I'm going to spoil some stuff from throughout the book series with just Brom right here. Um, when Aragorn's naming Saphira, he's talking to Bronn and he's like, hey, what's some like dragon names? Like, what's some famous ones? And Bronn's like, oh, yeah, there was a lot of big ones like this one and that one and this one and oh, and that one. And then like kind of dejectedly and like under his breath, he's like, Saphira. And Aragorn's like, oh, OK. So when he's naming Saphira, he he's like talking to her. And she can only talk into his mind. And he's like, how about this name? And she's like, eh, how about that one? Uh-uh. And they go through all and he's like, ooh, what about Saphir? And she's like, yeah, that one. So she picks the name. And we find out later that bronze dragon that died, its name was Saphira. And that's why he said it with such sadness and sorrow is because his dragon was also a blue dragon like Saphira named Saphira, so he essentially took this guy's dragon's name. Oh um, no, the baby! In the book, he's like, "Oh man, of course fate, fate does this to me." More spoilers, bigger spoilers. We later find out that uh, Ron is actually Aragon's father, so. He takes his dad's dragon's name without realizing it. So he's traveling with this guy for months and he saw him as a father figure. And we don't find out till book three that that is his dad. You're my dad. Boogie, boogie, boogie. 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 Uh, long after he's dead. Oh, no. <laughs> he died. Bronn dies in the middle of book in, in Aragon, the first book. And we don't find out towards the <laughs> until towards the end of book three that that's his dad. That was my dad. Originally, we don't know shit. And there's, there's a lot of stuff about lineage and stuff that goes on with this. Book two, we find out that a traveling companion of his after Bronn dies, his name is Murtag, um, is his brother. It's his half brother. That his mom had a kid before him with one of the king's like fucked up riders. Like he uh, corrupted some dragon riders before killing the rest of them. And yeah. his brother is the son of the first one and the most powerful one. So all of book two, they essentially have you thinking, like, oh, Aragon is the son of one of those guys because. Uh, his brother's like, and you're the son of that guy because our moms are the same person. Bet you didn't fucking realize that's stupid. Um, his his brother's name is Murtag. Uh, Tony and I just referred to him as Sasuke because that's essentially <laughs> what what he's an edge lord that is mad at the world because he had it rough and justifiably like he he has the right to be mad at the world, but he's just so fucking edgy. He's a real tryhard. I love to hear it. We all love our Sasuke's. We love our Sasuke's so damn much. Um, mm -hmm. 
there's there's a lot to go with this series. One of the big things with this series, which is going to be one of my was my biggest point that I wanted to focus on when talking to you was the magic system is explained in such an intricate way that it is probably the most interesting way I've heard magic tried to be described in a series. Essentially, everything has a true name okay. from an ancient language. And if you know the true name of something, you can use it as magic. So if you know the real name of fire, which is Brazinga in uh, the ancient tongue, then you can like cast fire. Brazinga. Yeah. Every time I hear it, I think of someone saying Bazinga, and then that's Big Bang Theory. And But it's, it's such an intricate way. So it's not just you stumble across magic. You have to, one, have an aptitude for it. And two, know a completely different language. And all the ways and intricacies of a different language. You got to know how the proper sense structured for the spells to be strung along and past tense is of stuff. If you want to do something correctly, because if you word it slightly wrong and say it in the past tense instead of forward tense, you can, for an example, accidentally curse a newborn baby instead of putting a blessing on it. Uh, Aragon. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you know the the whole thing about wizards in D and D having to like study their spells. Uh, that makes a lot more sense now thinking about it this way. I thought it was just kind of like a gut reaction. Uh, this is what I want, and then yeah, boom, touch the whore forehead. You're you're blessed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not it. There's there's rules and regulations to this. Yeah. Uh, part of those rules and regulations, besides just knowing an ancient language, which is jealously guarded like most wizard stuff is, is not truly knowing what your magic well is. They just call it energy, but it's essentially your life force. What? And if you try to do something too complicated or do a fireball too big or what have you, and your energy capability is not enough, you will just drop dead. And Stop. there is no gauge for that. You just have to personally know your limits. You start to feel lethargic if it's like, let's say you're casting a small fire um, just continuously you'll start to feel very drained and tired and that you need to eat something. And that's just how the magic system works. But if you try to do something huge, you can just drop dead without even realizing it. I am sweating because I'm the kind of person who will like forget yeah. to do the thing that I need to do to take care of my well-being until I, I fall, fall asleep very quickly. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, mm, maybe it's a good thing I'm not an Aragon wizard, huh? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And Aragon uh, has almost fallen victim to this a few times because he'll set up a spell or what, or like a weave to 
actively be going. And there has been, I think, two instances of in the series where he either like he gets knocked unconscious and he has to be like stirred by someone around him to be like, cut off the spell, you're gonna kill yourself. Uh... Um, later he finds a way he gets taught a way to like essentially use the energy of the beings around him so he's doing this with a fight with his brother because sasuke um he's doing a fight with his brother on his brother's dragon and uh he's getting help from the elves and he gets knocked unconscious from like Saphir crashing into the ground and he gets awoken by one of the elves and is like please cut off the spell. You're going to kill us. Three of the other elves have already passed out. And he was just knocked unconscious and definitely has a concussion. So it's like uh, the words coming in and out, screaming down a hallway sort of situation. So he's like, what? What's going on? Oh, no. Um, the magic system's so intricate. And I, I love it so fucking much for that i love that okay because like to to do a call back to the cosmere i don't know if you ever got a chance to read uh mistborn Mm -mm. in that magic system it's pretty much you drink for for certain kinds of people you either like drink uh metal flakes and you have to make sure they're like correct like the right metal flakes you can't just like take any chunks of aluminum and eat it like it's got to be correct and edible or you can still get poisoned but also there's some people who will instead use like they'll wear the correct metal bands or rings or something to store stuff in but uh you know and i i like that magic system for being intricate and like having a reasonable limitations on their abilities of like okay like i have until all of the the steel in my stomach has been burned off and you can kind of get like a gauge of like okay like this this power source feels like it's it's wearing down and i don't have a re-up so you know you got to be strategic about it but this one straight up is just like good luck bitch it really is (laughs) good luck (laughs) it's it's a very rare skill for people to have in the first place, let alone just finding a tutor to teach you in any part of the way. And even if you have a tutor and the ability, you might not even have the energy to cast anything more than a small mending spell. So, I, I don't know. It's I think it's a part of me that just wants to know why and how things work and how most series I listen to don't even try to explain how magic works with this. At least it they, they tried to make us a sense of reality to it. Yeah. Uh, and it like, there's extra levels of danger to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's not just you, it's others. Uh, which that could play into some really fun plot, well, quote unquote, fun plot options of, uh, hey, uh, the enemy knows, maybe the enemy has figured out that's what you're doing and sees everybody's getting really fucking tired on that end and is like, hmm, let's knock out the guy who's uh, 
not really good at turning off his spells. Like, there's so much caution to it. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a, a like a normal thing across most fantasy of like aim for the the spellcaster because they're usually the most dangerous. But in this, it's definitely even as non-writer spellcasters, they are forced to be reckoned with. Like they can put wards around troops of enemy, like troops of uh, soldiers on their part, so it makes arrows that would hit them like skew to the side so it won't actually hit any of their comrades and that's just like it it makes for very intricate battle scenes which most battle scenes in books i find extremely boring and i kind of tune out it's like yeah big battle whatever i don't really care uh with aragon and just the inheritance cycle as a whole the battle scenes were always explained in a way that I didn't tune out and I was just curious of what was happening, especially when we were following his cousin Rorin in book two and onwards. We follow just a normal ass person's point of view of having to deal with enemy soldiers and like wizards and shit. The wizards. The wizards. So there's. <sighs> I'm I'm absorbing all of these qualities of the story you like. And obviously we've heard the qualities of the story in the movie format that you didn't like. Um, but is there anything about the book specifically that you could if you could change that you would change? Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? Yeah. Well, honestly, for the like the first book, since I knew before even uh, getting into it, that the author was so young, a lot of things I did just like let just fall off. It's like, all right, well, he was a young writer at the time and he wasn't as experienced. So this probably stuff in there from the first book, I can't pinpoint anything because his writing did get better. A big issue that I'm having with this is, again, I started this journey a month ago and that wasn't from lack of trying. This motherfucker just makes really long books uh, for, we'll use Audible as a frame of reference. Most books on Audible that I listen to are anywhere from like 8 to 12 hours, give or take. First book is 16 hours. The second book is 23 hours. The third book is 29 hours. And the fourth book is 31 hours. It took me. That hurt me entire work weeks and some of my weekend just to like try to listen to everything so as much as i've internalized a lot of the story elements and remember all of it just shortcomings don't really come along from the writing aspect from book one i will say things that i would change would probably be the ending and okay you know you know when you can watch, listen, read, or just take any sort of information and then get to the end of it and be like, oh, they rushed it there at the end? Yeah. That's definitely what the end feels like, where I I knew this is where everything was going in the end of the series. You can tell throughout all of the books, everything has been breadcrumbs leading to this thing. And as well as certain things were written very well at the end, 
that wasn't said very eloquently, but whatever. Uh, he even talks about it in the interview after the fourth book as well, of like being on a time crunch that he had of how much he enjoyed it, but him still being on a time crunch. It, it really shows. And it left me wanting more where you, you know that the story was about Aragon getting to the end of this journey with defeating the king. And that's where the book kind of ends. But there's so much more that they could have done. And even outside of that, every book, good book series will leave a world where you can just imagine what happens next. At least in my opinion, some people want it completely wrapped up with no loose ends. But in this case, they left such a huge hole for me personally of like the dragon eggs that they found and how to rebuild the riders that I just wanted that little bit of extra, even if they did like a Boruto end of Naruto esque chapter or two of shows what happens in the future that would have helped but i think the ending of the series is what i would change okay sorry if Uh, that was a little rambly no 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 that that made complete sense especially like uh i haven't been much of a writer in my life and i know i'm not very good at it and not in the sense that uh Oh, I, you know, this is something I dedicate myself to and I'm and I don't feel like I'm good. I'm just not a good writer. I don't put enough effort into it. But um that is something I think about a lot for like our actual play, you know, or for like the comics that I'm trying to write with Tony. Mm-hmm. Just like what what makes a good ending? And uh I can definitely feel the difference of being able to just sit and mull it over and like really consider all the possibilities and then there's uh somebody who's my age uh, or younger, who's on a on a corporate time crunch, who's just like, you're just gonna have to deal with this one, bud. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little disappointing. It happens, but you know, th- there are ways to eloquently, even on that time crunch, make it feel like a satisfying ending, and. This is not a toot my own horn thing at all, but the an example I have is from the first season of Hearts Against Balance, where our time crunch was Lisa, my fiance, was about to give birth to our baby, and we had to finish up the season because Lisa made it clear that after the baby was born, she didn't want to be a part of the show anymore. So we clearly was like, all right, now we're going to end game. We had a little bit more, but we're just going to jump to end game. But we still were able to wrap up loose ends from that season and made it feel very worth it and had a payoff to it. And other medias mediums have done that as well. It's just executing it properly people can look over a rushed ending as long as it feels satisfying and earned yeah at least i i I agree as someone who i like i don't i don't normally take magnifying glasses to storylines unless it's chainsaw man i think that's the only time i'll put a micro put it under a microscope Mm -hmm. but um i think as long as there's just you know some semblance of attempts to tie up most of the loose ends i'm like eh. I'm happy with that. 
I apologize um, if I sound like a fucking elitist also. No, no. You have this fresh on the noggin. Uh, this was a beginning point for you for your journey to this point with fantasy content. Like, it's very important to you and you're looking at it critically. That's totally valid. I think if you were just shitting on the author outright, that would be bad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're considering the whole situation and, uh, you know, what would we do about it? And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I come across sometimes as someone who's like overly critical of things like story writing stuff. It's just as a listener, I I want the experience to feel like it has intent. And I will poke holes where I can. Just because that's just how my brain works of like seeing the holes and issues and pointing them out, which has helped me with my own writing process and helping with other people's story building stuff like Tony with our GM building stuff or just critically looking at the merits of a book series such as this. I don't know. It's just. It's it's nice to take something that. It's very unserious, like just a book and look at it critically. Yes. Absolutely. There's a lot of life lessons that I've taken from this book series, even now getting into it at 27 years old. It was just it. it, This book will definitely last with me for probably the rest of my life just because this has been one of the few books that it's obvious how most of the points that they went throughout the series were planned from the first book and anything that they thought of they built up to it it wasn't just thrown haphazardly at the end I I have to apologize to you. Mm. That last 10 seconds, I heard half of it because I was thinking about what I was going to do to you for the TikTok for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker. So it's, not, it's not that I'm dis- it's, I am interested in what you have to say, um, but for some reason my brain was like, but what if you did this? And I can't tell you yet, and the listeners can't know either. They'll they'll know when this episode comes out. Uh, but you don't. Not in this time and day, as of March 7th at 10.16 p.m. <laughs> um, so could you please repeat the last, like, two sentences that you had said? Uh, no. My brain does not remember Fuck. it. That's gone to the ends of time. Uh, or uh, when... I listen to this again. <laughs> no, gone to the ends of time. But here's a cute picture gone of, the of Baby Safira. Show me Baby Safira. Wow, that's a oh! grainy ass quality. It's 2006. What do you expect? <laughs> uh, she is absolutely adorable as a baby dragon. Um, since I know we're getting towards the end of this, there are some things I want to complain about. Besides what I already Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Nice. Go for it. In the book, 
Safira slowly grows to be a more grown size. In the movie, she's a baby dragon that slowly grows, and then Aragon, after hearing the story of the writers, is just like tossing her in the air, trying to get her to fly and be like, you're gonna do it. You're gonna be a big-ass dragon, and you're gonna defeat the king, and blah, blah, blah. And then she's just a grown-ass dragon. Like, she just starts bursting into flames, and then she's just a grown-ass dragon. And she's like, hello, I'm Safira. Like, she names herself, and... Why? Why? We... We... <sighs> you could montage it. There's so many things you could have done with that. That's one complaint. Another complaint, um... The looks of characters aren't really the issue, so, like, I can complain about the, um, the Reaper, I believe. Oh, whatever. Durza, in the, in the books, he's described as uh, having red hair and red eyes, the color of blood, and he's just being, he's an intimidating uh, force of nature. In the movie, he's just a black-haired, starkly, like, blue or white eyes and then in the end of the the movie so in the book where he where Aragon finally meets the the Varden and gets with them they're in a dwarven kingdom they're underground but they're in like a very eloquent looking area grand halls etc etc in the movie they're just kind of in a cave Nice, nice. Budget, budget. Yeah, big budget, but also a lot of CGI. Um, I think they just wanted to add Safira to this, but, you know, Aragon's fighting a lot of uh, the Urgles or the Orc-type people in this uh, cavern, and he has to separate from Safira to go fight Durza, the, the Reaper. I can't remember the name of him. Uh, but he goes over to fight him one-on-one, and then Safira comes to save him with Arya. But it's a one-on-one fight that he still finishes on his own with a blade. In the movie, for some god-awful reason, they have him riding this, like, spirit, specter, sort of dragony monster thing. Uh, let me try to find a picture of this. First, let me just throw this picture of Durza in the chat. My brain keeps auto-correcting you to Durzo. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then he just summons this thing, and he starts fighting Aragon and Safira on it. What in the hell is that? Yeah, I don't know. Was that not canon? No. <laughs> I don't... But it, it would be cool, though, wouldn't it? No. We already have scary flying things that they fucking cut out when they didn't include the fucking Razak and the leather blocker. Jakey's typing. Jakey's typing. Jakey's logged on. Jakey's stop typing. Uh, this, uh, I don't know. An- another complaint I have is, you know, Galbatorix, the king, he's always talked about uh, relatively, like he's always been this overwhelming, untouchable, godlike figure. They never uh, directly talk to him. They have no scenes with him. Everything that has to do with him is in passing or people who have like talked to him of like 
when his brother uh Morzan is Murtak is uh put under the king's essentially slavery. He's like, oh, the king, he's gonna be upset or whatever. But still, we don't actually see the king until the fight with the king. And that has it stuck with me because in the in the book series, it it made him this untouchable sort of character, so mysterious that it has built him up more. But in the movie, they kind of just out the gate just show him, and he doesn't look very intimidating. He kind of just looks like a grumpy man. He's just a guy. He's just a grumpy dude. From twitter.com forward slash make up a guy. Oh, uh, what? Oh, you. Oh, God. I hope listeners get my reference. It's a Twitter account where uh, it's like make up a guy who is supposed to be a mysterious king, but he's actually just grumpy. So this is a picture of Galbatore. He just kind of looks like a, an angry guy. He looks like he's my best friend from middle school's dad, but uh, I could definitely still ask for a tampon if I needed one. Yeah, he kind of looks <laughs> like a, a, a grumpy friend's dad. Or like an overbearing uh, dad for like a girlfriend. It's like, oh, now you're going to treat my daughter with respect, right? And it's like, yes, sir. I, you're just talking about my dad. I am talking about that's, your dad. About what? That's just my dad. Woogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> and fucking one of the first things of him saying to me was essentially being like, you know, we got guns in this house, right? You know, uh, listeners at home, uh, yes, my, uh, yes, my parents, uh, you know, they, they, they possessed those things, but also, uh, I think it, they stopped, uh, insinuating their possession of them to my partners after they realized that I was, uh, I was probably going to emotionally hurt them more than, than they would ever. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't feel the need to protect me anymore. That's true. That's true. I can attest. I'm trying to say this, I'm trying to say this as eloquently as possible. <laughs> so yeah, dad didn't. Dad no longer needed the shirt that said, uh, "You know, uh, my, my my daughter's uh, she, my last boyfriend died 17 days ago, and I buried him in the backyard, and I have an alibi." You know what I'm talking about? Mm, mm, mm. He didn't need those shirts. I was fine. <laughs> We're good, pops. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Um. So he definitely was not the mysterious king. He definitely was the dad who bought the shirts on Facebook that had way too much graphics and text on them. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. Can I take one step back and we talk about this Reaper man for a second? The image above the. The shadow dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that guy, uh, definitely. Shades. They're called shades. My bad. <laughs> I've I've met him at the Ren Fair, and he sold me, uh, peanuts. Excuse me. <laughs> the Renaissance Fair. You know how they're like the king's nuts. Come try the king's yes. nuts, and they sell like almonds <laughs> and shit. Uh, that that's who that is. 
Um, but I'm saying this with ultimate respect. I know these are like professional actors who who did it pro- their best with the Aragon movie. I um, completely agree with that. And I don't fault them for this, much like I don't sh- uh, uh, fault Hayden Christensen for his portrayal of Anakin. He did the best that he could with the shitty script he was given, much like these actors. They only had $1 million to do all of this, and most of that budget went to Safira. You want to see something That's my cool? Guess. Yes. So in the last book, we have uh, Galbatorix on his throne, and he has, like, Aragon, uh, Mortag, and everyone just kind of like locked in front of him with his mastery of spells. And uh, he's just talking shit, and there's a huge like black curtain behind him to emphasize his, emphasize his evilness. And then eventually he's just like, all right, well, you know, you pissed off my dragon, you pissed off Shrugan, and like, you know, he doesn't really like you. He doesn't really like anyone, but he doesn't like you. And then that black curtain moves and it's just Shrukin's wing. And relatively, Shrukin is huge. And just so you can understand the scale, these blue and red dragons is Aragon and his brother's dragon, respectively. Um... That would, you know, you, it's kind of like, you're like, oh yeah, I've walked into this D&D battle encounter. This is definitely adequately leveled. And then your DM just kind of looks up from behind the screen and like rolled some dice without telling you anything. <laughs> yeah. That's that kind of, that, that's that sense of I'm going to, sh- I'm going to poop my pants. Um, That's terrifying. It, That's a big dragon. It is terrifying. Essentially, what he was doing for years is he was stealing the energy of some like dragon hearts and everyone around him and just forcing his dragon to grow to unnaturally huge sizes. Wait, is this the king? Yeah. Wait, the king didn't like dragons, but he had his own dragon? He... So what happened with Galbatorix, his storyline is essentially uh, the dragon riders were fighting the Urgles, the ogre people. And during one of their fights, uh, Galbatorix's dragon died. And he said, oh, I'm big depressed. And what happens when a dragon dies or a rider dies is because their souls are essentially intertwined with each other. Um, they can die because it's like half their life is just getting ripped out. They can go mad or they can essentially go catatonic. Uh, Galbatorix went mad. Uh, essentially, after this fight where his dragon died, he fought his way through the Urgles and walked for months back to the rider's land. And he's like, hey, everybody, um, I'm back. Uh, my dragon's dead. Can I get a new dragon? And the council is like, no, that's not how it works. You know, you get bonded. That that mark on your hand signifies your bond with your dragon, with your dragon. You don't get another one. You get one. 
So what he did is a new rider that hatched this big ass black dragon behind him, like Shrukin had just hatched, and Galvatorx killed his rider immediately and stole his dragon. He went crazy from this, and then he completely blamed the council for his dragon dying. So he started convincing people to join his cause to turn over the riders because they they're not helping anything. They're just kind of shitty. And the first person to go was Mortak, which was Brahms, like essentially blood brother. He was his the the person he looked up to. Uh, so this was the biggest betrayal for Brom because he's st- worked as a young writer looking up to this guy just to have him turn on the order. Top 10 anime betrayal. Yeah. So he eventually got 13 total writers to turn on the order and then they took the whole fucking thing down and even killed all of the wild dragons that were out in the world too. yeah he's a fucking trash bag and then after killing all the dragons and all the riders he just went to the center of the continent and said hey I'm the king now and everyone's like okay we literally can't fight you so got it that's upsetting yeah and that story gets revealed at the beginning of Aragon so that's one of the movie of of the the book itself. It's the, um, one of the stories that Brom tells. One of the rare stories uh, that he tells. And he's like, and if Galvatorx ever knew I was telling the story, he would surely have me beheaded. Essentially being like, don't. Government secrets. <laughs> don't narc on me to the king. I know we're not friends of him, but still. You know, to keep this to yourself, please. Yeah. Um, apparently this book Holy series shit. was supposed to be, uh, a trilogy. Uh. And then how many books came out? It came out to be four books because he got to close to the end of book three and then he realized he had too much to fit into one book. And considering that book three and four are longer by a few hours compared to the first two books. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely needed that fourth book. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently the original idea for this was like three estranged brothers essentially have a, a journey. So the brothers are Aragon, his cousin who he was raised with, who's essentially his brother, which is Rorin. And then later in the book, you he finds Morzan, who turns out to be his brother. So. It was supposed to be this whole like tie-in of these brothers go- going on a journey and their diverging paths and how they intermingle, blah blah blah. And I could definitely see that as like book one being Aragon's story and book two mostly being Roran's story. And I think by the end of that, he said. Morzan's currently working for the king. I can't really show his story, so we're only going to show brief glimpses. So I feel like they do him so dirty in that respect. Give me 
Give me the third boy's journey. Give me I demand the third boy's journey. Give me Dragon Sasuke. Sasuke. Dragon Sasuke. Uh, I feel bad for him, and I feel more bad for his dragon thorn. So Galbatorix essentially had the last three dragon eggs. It was Saphira's thorn and this green uh, dragon egg. Uh, Saphira's egg was stolen a while ago, and it finally hatches now. Uh, Morzan, when he got... Mortek, whatever. He's his name's too close to his dad's. Uh Dragon Sasuke. He gets uh captured by the king and then Thorn the dragon hatches for him. And the king said, mm, interesting. So I'm gonna figure out your true name and immediately enslave this newborn dragon and his rider. <sighs> yeah. So he's not above uh enslaving babies. Uh He's not above killing children. Literally at the end of the book of, you know, this image that you're seeing with the, the big ass dragon looming over two smaller dragons. It, mm-hmm. In this scene, uh, after this reveal, he's like, come in, my sweeties. And he brings out two uh, young children, a boy and a girl, like seven and nine or some shit. And I'm like, oh, is it going to show like he's like kind of humane? He has kids or whatever. He's like, these are some kids, blah, blah, blah. So if you try to attack me again, I'm a fucking kill them. Or if you try to escape, I'm a fucking kill them. Or if you do literally anything that doesn't please me, I'm going to kill them. I, I hate that. Yeah. So it shows his uh, madness that. in that point. It's like, oh, he's fucking batshit crazy. Uh, you know, I like, I usually like villains in the sense that, uh, you know, kind of like the baby girl of the week energy. I don't think I can baby girl the king, unfortunately. No. They did a good job of not making me not want to baby girl the king. They, they, for me, they do a good job of like, you know, a good villain is someone that you can relate to and see their perspective. And before that, they do a good job of showing uh, his point of view, where he's trying to convince someone to join his side. He's like, listen, I didn't start this war. You Varden started the war. I was content with just sitting in my capital, not doing anything. Listen, yes, I killed the riders, and I deeply regret that. But think about this. Since the rioters came into power, nothing changed. People who were kings when the rioters started, their descendants stood king. They only managed the status quo, where they were originally founded to keep peace amongst the nation. Things were stagnant. Things weren't growing. And that's not how the world should be. The world should always be changing and growing and being complex. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that point of view. I get that. and he's like, and magic, it's the biggest, it's the biggest issue amongst the nation. Like, if you're born with magic, you have an unfair advantage above everyone. Uh, elves, and up to this point, it shows like uh, people's distrust of elves because they are magical beings, so they have mastery of magic, uh, unlike anyone else. He's like, elves, we uh, they are they rule above everyone. Even normal people, if you're born with magic, 
you are above everyone. And I think that you should be able to carry the world just not by some magical gift that's just being put on you, but by the work you put in is how the world should work. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I kind of disagree, but I get where you're coming from. And he's like, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to like try to put a magic system into place. I, I found the true word of the magic system and I'm going to change it that way. No one can do magic anymore. So no one has power over another. I'm like, OK, I get that. And he's like, and no one's going to be able to do magic unless I say so, because I should be the one in charge of everything. And I'm like, oh, there it is. There's the craziness right there. So he goes from uh, understandable villain to just crazy ass dude. I hate it. I don't like it. Uh, that uh, I mean, I, I one I'm upset because it's been nailed in the coffin now that I can't baby girl this guy. But um, there there's just a lot of that where you could just literally like hit find and replace, and then like. Oh, Microsoft Word for magic and stuff and replace it with anything else. And it's just like, this just feels like something I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. <laughs> just, you can replace uh, magic with money, essentially. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, magic's the uh, root of all evil, essentially. So, like, if I control the banks and no one can spend money unless I say so, then everything will be good. Mm-mm, don't like it. But I guess that makes him, in a way, a good villain. But still. it After he said that, and then he'll put himself in charge of it, uh, I had the thought process of him more le- less being delusional and more of just having a story put into place to make his uh, plans seem more noble. He he definitely has big manipulator energy, and it makes my my alarm bells ring. Yep. Holy shit! I like this art. I am here. Can you put that in the chat? Yes, I can. Uh, I I was I'm always interested to see what artists um put in um or how they perceive. The characters. That's not what I was trying to go for at all. <laughs> um, here we go. I like to see how artists draw out the characters based on their descriptions. Um, or like people do fan casting of characters. Like you were describing what's his face as a a red haired dude with, with glowing eyes and all that stuff. <laughs> Durza. And I was like, damn, Durs is hot as fuck, according to this artist. <laughs> I did When we were reading, um, what was Tony's book series called again? Uh, the Night Angels trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely loved seeing the art, but it I could not shake the fact that I thought Durzo just looked like Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I just saw Obi-Wan Kenobi the entire time. Um, but that's not... We're not talking about Night Angels. We're talking about Aragon. Um, so now that I'm on this topic, though, uh, may I take you on a brief uh, divergent point? Sure. To tell me who you would fan cast as Aragon 
the guy? Um, I don't know the actor's name. He's got perpetual baby face. Uh, I can name what is he several in? things that he's in. He's the voice of Ferb and Phineas and Ferb. He's he was in the Nanny McPhee movie. I think. Uh, he was in the Maze Runner series. Thomas Birdie Sangster. That's him. I think he. Oh, what a baby! He's got perpetual baby face and this ultimate perpetual baby. Yeah. So, uh, there's there's a part in the book series where Aragon gets like essentially blessed by some spirits of dragons, and he com- becomes more elf like. And elves are have like cute baby face and have essentially described as kind of Asian looking with like kind of slanted eyes and pointed ears and stuff. And I think that he could pull off the the look of like human to like elf transition with just slight makeup stuff. Yeah, I could see that. So that's my fan cast pick for Aragon. But who would be your uh let's see. Okay, so we I'm just gonna go from one end of the spectrum to the other. So we got your Aragon fan cast. Uh what about the crazy king man? Mmm, Galbatorix. Give me someone I can baby girl, please. Or don't, but you do whatever I want. Do whatever you want. Hmm. I what's that actor's name? It's from Lord of the Rings. Which one is he? He also played like the head of House Stark in Game of Thrones. Ned Ned Stark? Yeah. Ned Stark. Hey yo. I could I could from how I understand it, I can see that. I don't know the yeah, actors. Yeah. Just uh, type in Ned uh, Stark. <laughs> Ned, I, I've I I've seen a bit of a. I've seen a bit of uh. I almost called it League of Legends. I've seen a little bit of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, so have I. I've seen the first season, first two seasons. Not my cup of tea. But I can see <laughs> I can see him playing like a, a a villainous character because. You know, Galbatorx is described as someone who has, like, a a speech, a way of talking that makes you want to listen, and this guy definitely has that type of voice. One does not simply have the speech pattern for the Crazy King. So that's that's my pitch for Galbatorx. I love to see it. Um, do you have any other fan casting you'd like to do? Um... Just because I love seeing her in things, Neswada, the leader of the Varden after her dad passes away, she she's described like a light-skinned kind of uh, tribal sort of girl. And I think uh, like Zendaya could portray that very well. Oh, yeah. I know what Zendaya looks like. I don't need to look her up. Yeah. But I, I also, is that character you were talking about on this little sh- chart? On the little, like, yeah, Neswada. She's in the upper right-hand corner. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And for, um, what is it? The herbalist. Andrea. Aria? I can't remember. Uh, and, yeah, Angela. I think the actress who plays River Song could be would fit her very well. 
Alex Kingston? Yes. Hell yeah. She's described as a curly haired, like redheaded short woman. Fun. All right. So um I need Disney Plus to take notes. <laughs> and I don't know what to do for Naj Gajbog or any of the other uh orc like people because they're described as like huge buff guys with horns. Uh just any wrestler you please. Uh, not Batista, because I'm fucking tired of seeing him and stuff. I love Batista! Not the fucking Rock, because he's overrated, and I don't want to see him raising his fucking eyebrows at, at me right before he wins, because <laughs> that's in his fucking contract. Okay, what about, uh, 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 um, uh, what about... John Cena! What about John Cena? Uh, I... John Cena is starting to look kind of raisiny, and I don't think he fits any character in the in the series now. No, you look at you a, a current you... picture of John Cena. Yeah, a current picture of John Cena in a mini skirt. I'm not complaining. You know exactly what I want, Google. You see this? You see this? Yeah, I get it. He looks fucking. I love fire, to see it, but. I don't see him as being anything in the series. I'm sorry. You're valid. This, you know what? This is, I'm the reason that my behavior is the reason why the original 2006 Aragon movie was the way it was. Yeah. People like you, you did this. I did this. This is all my fault. I don't really have an edgy person in mind to play Murtag, but it needs to be someone who can actually carry the weight of Murtag, because he's not just, like, an angry person or just a whiny person. He's someone who's, like, mad at the world for the hand he's dealt without being complacent. And I feel like it's very difficult for actors to portray that without it sounding whiny. I just keep picturing, uh... Hmm, what's his name? Hmm... The, the Sasuke from Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, I'm going to do an out-of-pocket uh, suggestion for Mortag and just suggest the music artist Andrew WK. Go f- I don't know who that is, but go for it. Uh, he's the singer of that song uh, We Like to Party, A Party Party Party. Uh, he's also well- the host of the short-lived Cartoon Network live-action show Destroy, Build, Destroy. What? <laughs> He's six three. He dates Cat Dennings. You lucky motherfucker. Yeah, he gets the role. He gets it. Um, Lewis. Huh? Lewis. Me. Do you have any remaining thoughts upon Aragon? Is there anything that sits in your gut and screams to be let out? Uh, if you listen to that opening bit while the the intro song is playing, I think that screams everything right there. Ah! <laughs> um, good. And by good, I mean, are you, as long as you're satisfied, do you feel satisfied? I feel... Free, free from the torment of holding in all this hyperfixation 
and only occasionally being able to let out little spurts of it to Tony when I get to see him, like, okay, goodbye. Um, no, I feel that. After the, uh, like, get after our conversation that led to the Crash Box episode, I was absolutely going to explode. And then finally the episode happened, and I slept so good. I slept so nice. It was so nice to let it all out. So I'm I'm glad that for the second time on this podcast, you got to to release that hyperfixation into the universe. I'm free. Free balling. And next time I'm here on the show, I'll be more in my host role, which we didn't talk about in this episode, which we 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 touched on it in the beginning that you're the co-host. That's why uh, that's it, I changed it from uh, where my friends come onto my show, uh, where it's like our friends or uh, my friends come onto our show. <laughs> or or I'm, I'm working on it. I'm workshopping it. But yes, uh, you too can release that monster inside of you that wants to talk about your special interest. And uh, Lewis will be glad to hear it. Oh. Just sign up on the Google form. Sign up on those Google forms. Let me hear your hyperfixation. My schedule is usually record after 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so I can get my kids into bed. Hashtag parenthood. Yay! Did we, did we do it? Was that? I felt like that went a lot better than my land episode. I thought your land episode was fire, and I think this episode is also fire. And now I have another book in my belt of books. Uh, no. What? Uh, don't try to visit this on your own. What? It's just so long, Roma, and you're you'll you'll fall. <laughs> you'll your hyperfix will not carry you to the end like it carried me. Okay. You know me. I know you. You know me. You know me. Okay. <laughs> but you, listener, you do it. You go listen to or read the books. You do it and enjoy this good, good series. Disregard those shortcomings of the first book where the author's just trying to wet his feet. And just, just enjoy it. He, he puts a lot of soul into it. Motherfucker. He he doesn't forget about characters. He brings them back, constantly keeps the world thriving and moving and feels very lived in, even before the time, before the Dragon Riders. Everything feels like it's planned out. Listener, give this book a chance. Do it. <laughs> Do it now. That was very preachy. I felt like I was preaching the word of God for a second there. The word of dragons. Bus rode off. <laughs> and then the outro song should just be the Do- Dovahkiin song. Dovahkiin, Dovahkiin, and the copyright strike. Bethesda probably's bad about it. Who knows about that? Yeah. Fucking Todd Howard. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Aragon. So if you guys want to hear more from me and uh, talk to me about stuff, you can. Find me at Selborsiul, S-E-L-B-O-R-S-I-U-L, on Twitter. 
and you can just talk to me. I've been a little bit more active over there. Or you can just come to the Discord, and I'm way more active there, just trying to talk to people, greeting all the newcomers, and I'll be in this uh, new Aragon chat talking about whatever I fucking want. Because now I'm a host. Whatever I want. Whatever I please. Do whatever I feel like. And the breeze. Sorry. And where can people find you, Rome? You can find me on the internet at twitter.com forward slash I appreciate your butt. That is I-A-P-P-R-E-C-I, the number eight, U-R-B-U-T-T. Um, and I'm, I tweet a lot. And if Twitter dies and Twitter doesn't exist anymore, then I'll probably be on Tumblr at the same thing, except spelled correctly. Um, so you can find me there. Um, and you can find me in this discord. Um, and the rest of the hyperfix host will tell you all the other places to find things. Thank you to the moonshot network for making this podcast happen. You can find this show and many other amazing shows at uh, twitter.com forward slash moonshot pods. You can also catch the network streaming on twitch.tv forward slash moonshot network. And the next on the list is plug uh, the editor, which is me. (laughs) Uh, So thanks kingdom for editing it. No problem, dude. Um, (laughs) If you have a podcast, you need an editor for attack on kingdom. T A C H Y O N kingdom. It's <laughs> <laughs> like this is my this is my better call saw moment. Did you know you have editors? <laughs> Constitution says you do. <laughs> and thank you to Offuscate for our intro and outro music. You can find them at Offuscate on Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud. So check out their stuff. Also, we have a TikTok. You probably already know that, but it's just the Hyperfix pod at TikTok. I remembered that at the end. You can also check the Moonshots Discord. There is a sub-channel for Hyperfix, but it's far less active than this Discord devoted to just this show. When I made this podcast, it it definitely, like, I knew that they were going to give me my own little thread to be in, but there was no way that the cacophony of voices talking about so many separate things was going to manage on a singular thread. Yeah. And I like organizing things. <laughs> oh yeah, go check out the Moonshots uh, Discord if you want that, and then uh, we'll force you to come over here so we can talk to you more easily. And you can talk about your specific thing that you want to talk about in night or nice, neat, organized pile. These are it's a hyperfixation doom box. This is the whole Discord's just a doom box. Yeah, maybe after season three, you're gonna have to just put those different seasons into a, a whole separate category of like this is volume one. Oh my god. And they just have a separate volume for, like, season four through six. I don't know. I'm just shooting this shit. You know, um, I do like the concept that uh, we're officially 31 actual, like, topics into this show. And I know about 31 different intellectual properties. Um, 
but I still feel like I know nothing. You're going to know so many things eventually. It'll, it'll all hit you at once. I am going to be, you know what, when, when I finally go back to a party after all of this time, I'm either going to be the coolest fucking person in the room Mm-mm. or I, everyone's going to avoid me like the plague. <laughs> you go to parties? I, I, you know, you're right. I'll just stay at Discord. <laughs> when I go to this Discord party. When I go to this Discord party, I'm going to learn so many things and teach people so many things. But right now, it'll just be my coworker, Raven. Coworker. Hi, Raven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be safe, everybody. Don't die. Drink your water. Take your vitamins. Get in the Discord. And don't be ashamed of being excited about something, damn it. Be excited. Be excited. Uh, I think that's it. Yep. We did it? We did it. All right. Ba-doop. Good night. Badoop. Journey to distant realms. Explore the furthest reaches of the universe. Survive deadly dangers. Experience matters of the heart and more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table.